Thank you, Christine. You are awesome. Welcome again. We want to welcome those who are watching online through our live feed on Facebook and YouTube, or maybe you're watching this at some point in the future. We're glad you're tuning in, and we'd love for you to share this video on social media. It'll be helpful for a lot of people, so please share our video. We want to take just a moment uh, to turn our attention to worshiping God by the giving of an offering. Now, in the time of COVID, we don't feel comfortable passing a plate around. And so what we do is we just want to make you aware of the different ways that you can worship by giving. We have secure uh, offering boxes on the side walls here in the, uh, in the auditorium and also near the exit uh, in the hallway as you leave today. Also, you could go to our giving kiosk, which is in the hallway, or go to our church website, churchonthetrail.org. And you can uh, give that way. And we believe that giving of our financial resources is a way of worshiping God. We also know that the generosity of our church family is what fuels ministry, is what allows us to obey God's call for us to help people find their way back to God and grow. Did you know one of the great ways that your generosity fuels ministry is through the children's and youth ministries here at Church on the Trail. Do you know that there are families who have told us straight up that sometimes the parents on a Sunday morning are not feeling the mojo? Can anybody relate? You're a little, you're dragging. And they say that it's their kids that say, it is Sunday, I can't wait to get to trail kids. Or I can't wait, they, they look forward to being in trail tots. That is priceless. But it, there is a way that we can participate in that wonderful, those wonderful ministries, and that's through your generosity. So we encourage you, remember that we are worshiping God as we give, and remember that it's that generosity that fuels impacting ministry that's going to that's gonna affect generations for the gospel. Isn't that great news? Isn't that a wonderful privilege that we get to be a part of? Listen, let's say a prayer of blessing over our time of giving. And then we will proceed with the rest of the service. Pray with me. Father, we ask you to receive the offerings. Lord, we're about to give of our financial resources to you. Some of us will do it here in person. Uh, Lord, some of us are going to do it online. Lord, we ask you to take the gifts that are given in these moments and in the week ahead. And we pray you receive them as worship. And Lord, we also ask you to take our stuff, our resources, and make an impact in the lives of others. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, man. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you one or two more little quick announcements, and that would be this. Men, if you're watching online and you're a man, you need to go and register for the men's event, the uh, men's weekend on the 16th of October. Uh, that Saturday, uh, that Friday night and that Saturday, go register. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a fire out on the land on the church property on Flat Rock Road. Um, it's going to be a good time. Cameron Arnett is going to be here from the movie Overcomer. He's going to be speaking. It's just going to be a really good time. And if you're a guy, go, 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 go and register for that. We're also having a winter warming drive. You saw out there some clothes and stuff, and that is blankets and and jackets and socks and warming stuff uh, for our homeless ministry. Y'all, that's a, Richard's talking about our generosity, and that's part of it as well. 
I mean, a number of folks have come to know Christ over the last four or five years through our homeless ministry. And so your, your, your generosity fuels that. And right now, because we're, we're, it's getting to be winter, we're uh, gathering together heavier blankets and stuff to keep the folks warm on the streets. The last thing is we need your candy. Y'all, we need your candy. We're having harvest on the trail later on this month, and we're going to have a movie night on the land, on the church property, and, uh, and we need your candy. So there's a, there's a big pumpkin out there, and there's some candy by it, and so there needs to be more candy by it each Sunday. Or even if y'all want to bring some candy by during the week, um, we're here during the week to, that, that we can put it over there. So today, y'all, we are starting a new series and, and, you know, we, we've been walking through Romans, and last week we were at the end of chapter 7. And, and at the end of chapter 7 of Romans, Paul reminds us all that during this lifetime, this physical lifetime that we are here for, you know, 70 or 80 or 90, whatever years, that there will be a constant tension, a constant sort of conflict in our lives inside because of our sinful nature. You know, even... Because of that nature, even a believer, even a Christ follower is affected by the law of sin, which is in Romans 7.25. And so that begs this question, because we're affected by that, it begs this question, do we, me and you, do we spend all of our lives feeling defeated by sin? And the answer to that, Paul's going to tell us, is resoundingly the answer to that is no. Now, I spent this last week or so too much time trying to come up with a name of this new series. Now, to be honest with you, I plan our messages usually about eight months out in advance. I'm constantly out in advance. And so the name of this series I had really decided months and months ago, but then, as, but then I didn't feel good about it. And as I'm reading this week and reading through different, what different, uh, different authors said about Romans chapter 8, what I kept running into over and over is everybody says the greatest chapter in the Bible. It's the greatest chapter in the Bible. It's the greatest chapter. And so I probably, honestly, I probably agree that arguably Romans chapter 8 is probably the most awesomest chapter in, in Paul's writings. So the name of the series is The Greatest Chapter. They wanted me to do some greatest showman round off back handsprings down the aisle or something, but I'd pull three hamstrings if I did that, so I don't want to do that. But the greatest chapter, that's where we're going to be for a, for a few weeks. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to it, and I want to tell you why I think, why I believe that it is the greatest work uh, of the Apostle Paul. And then I want us to walk, I want to walk through the, the first few verses, actually the first four verses. And so I believe there are several reasons why this is... Paul's greatest writing. There is no chapter anywhere that Paul wrote that, that, uh, that begins with such a, a, a black and white declaration of the rescue that we find in the cross of Christ. There's no chapter that more fully or more deeply deals with the brokenness out there in the physical world, the physical universe, and how it got that way and, and what will become of it. There's no chapter that more clearly and more uh, uh, infallibly lays out the, the links, which are unbreakable links, uh, in our salvation from 
predestination to glorification. Don't let the word predestination freak you out. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's an unbreakable link in verse 30, and we'll talk again in, in a few weeks about that. There's no chapter in Scripture. There's no chapter that Paul wrote anywhere where, uh, where there's this combination of the intercession of the Holy Spirit in us with the intercession of the Son for us all in the unfailing love of God the Father over us. Paul paints this beautiful image of the Trinity in Romans chapter 8. There's no other chapter in Scripture that, that more uh, explicitly or repeatedly puts together the ugly of our sufferings with the beautifully and really beautifully assured majesty of our glory that is going to come. And it moves with force through, through suffering to a climax of the unshakable hope that me and you can find in the love of God. And he describes, this is later on in Romans 8, he describes, Paul, some really, really bad sufferings in verse 35 or 36. And then immediately in the next two verses, he says that God's mad love for us trumps all of that suffering. He calls me and you more than conquerors in the very next verse in verse 37. There's no chapter in Scripture that, that deals more directly or more tenderly with our struggle to know, to know in our minds, to know in our hearts that we are, in fact, children of God. And that opens up the witness of the Holy Spirit to us. It's a struggle for assurance laying right alongside the witness of the Holy Spirit who lives inside a believer. There's no chapter in Scripture where there are so many, over and over, so many glorious truths that help us to obey one implied command that's woven through all of chapter 8, and that is live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And if you do that, you so will fulfill the whole law, and that is love. Living by the Spirit. Loving your enemy. Loving your friends. Love God's church. Love in a Christ-like, uh, sacrificial way. Love in a way that glorifies God. Living by the Spirit and not by the flesh manifests it manifests itself in a way that 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 you as a Christ follower will point the people that are in your world the people in your sphere of influence your your peeps where you can point them towards a god whose love is unfailing so there are several several really super great reasons that we should all read through and pray through Romans chapter 8 several times in the next few weeks Read that chat. Read Romans eight every day. In that chapter, Paul Paul describes the life of victory and the life of hope that every believer has because of Christ Jesus. And so he begins his description of this walk, this this victorious Christian walk. He refers over and over and over to the Holy Spirit. So far in Romans, Paul in the first seven chapters, he's only mentioned the Spirit twice. From this point on, he mentions the Holy Spirit specifically 19 times. So in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit's presence and power answers much of the despair. Y'all, the first six or seven chapters of Roman paints a, a 
pretty terrible image of me and you. And so Romans chapter 8 answers a lot of the despair that we're kind of left with in chapter 7. And, 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 and in, in chapter 7, the law of sin and death, it almost, almost looks like that has triumphed. But in reality, it is crushed in chapter 8 by the power of the spirit of life. So verse 1, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And most of us, probably, many of us live our lives feeling condemned because the devil, and you know, he's the one that last week we said is prowling around the earth trying to eat you. You do get that. He is prowling around lurking behind every corner, trying to eat you, trying to devour you. That guy, and that guy uses your past guilt. He uses your present failures. All of that to make you question what Jesus has done for us. I know that, because I've done this, and I know that we can all have a tendency to allow our minds, to allow even our hearts to, to drag back up past guilt over or, or, or present guilt over past junk that we've done. I know that non-Christian friends that we have, shoot, maybe even people who would say that they were a Christ follower will notice in your life, they'll point out in your life, they'll beat you up with, with inconsistencies that are in your walk. Sometimes past memories of how we used to live can rear their head up and haunt me and you. If we're not careful, shame and guilt and low self-esteem can just trip us up. Unhealthy comparisons with other believers can discourage us. I've said this many times, and it's really a quote from my wife, and that is, comparison is the death of joy. Write that down. Comparison is the death of joy. It really, really is. Don't worry about the next man. Life is not used. What you see on Facebook is a joke. Like, it's a joke. Don't turn it off if you're watching on Facebook right now. But, but when, you, when you, it's this big, huge compare my perfect life with the other, with, with the other person. That's, it's, just not re, it's just not reality. And so don't do that. Comparison is the death of joy. And all of those things, the, the, the shame, the guilt, the, the dragons pass stuff up, you know, the comparison, all of that is Satan just throwing darts at you. He's throwing darts at you. It's the way that he operates, y'all. He's, he's operating like, let me get their eyes off of the prize and typically get their eyes on themselves. Let me get them to just look, look, at, look at themselves and worry about themselves and, 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 and be selfish and self-centered and egotistical. And me and you, we've got to make sure that our assurance is focused on Christ and not on our own performance. And so Paul declares it is like he is screaming from the mountaintops, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible 13 words in English. Incredible. What a glorious truth. Those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, and by believe I mean those of us who have trusted in him for our salvation, are not condemned. So our first point today 
and arguably the point of the whole book from page one on till the end is this. Those in Christ are not condemned. Not condemned. No condemnation here. It means that the Christian, the Christ follower, the believer is not doomed, not damned, but has been freed from the penalty and the condemnation of sin. He's not judged as a sinner. He's rescued from condemnation. He's rescued from death and from hell. He's not judged to be unrighteous. He's counted as righteous. Paul is so clear and he so simply says that a person who is in Christ is safe and secure now and forever. He'll never ever be separated from the love of God. But those who've said no to the offer, and y'all as you sit here today or as you're watching online, no answer is a no answer. Well, not yet. I'm not ready for that yet. Well, okay. Until you are ready for that, your answer is no because that is the way it works. So those who are not saved, not born again, not a new creation, not in Christ, that bucket of people will absolutely face condemnation for their sin. They will. It is black and white. The scripture is black and white. And this word that Paul uses here uh, that we translate condemnation, it's only used three times in the New Testament. Me and you, we tend to think of condemnation as, as just judgment. And of course, judgment is a piece of that. Of course, it's an integral piece of that. But, but the word is much fuller than that. It, it has a, there's a lot more meaning packed into that Greek word. It speaks of the sentence for the crime Remember, Romans is very legal. Romans is like a courtroom. We've said that before. So this word condemnation, or the Greek word that's translated condemnation, it speaks to the sentence of the crime and the execution of the sentence. It's both. It's both. In other words, it's not just merely God's declaration of the punishment, but it's the actual result of the sentence that imp that, that's imposed on those who die without Christ. Does that make sense? It's the sentence and it's the, the, the execution of it. Those that die without being in Christ, they are condemned. And listen, that's terrible. I'm not standing up here saying that like with some pride. Like I weep every day because people die lost every day. Y'all do realize when somebody dies lost, they go to hell. We all have friends and we all have family that that's the case. We should weep for that. And Paul is so black and white in the way that he says it. Now let's talk for a minute what is in Christ, this language that Paul uses. What do those words in Christ mean? What, what does it mean for you or me or a person to be in Christ? That, that's a person that is bought into God's plan, fully bought in. They're all in. They bought into the gospel message and they've been saved. That person is identified with Christ. They're counted and they're considered and they're credited to be in Christ. When you and I believe in Christ for salvation, God places and positions us in Christ. When we place saving faith in him, he counts us as really kind of three ways that we're counted. He counts us as having lived in Christ when he walked the dusty roads of Israel. And therefore, we're counted sinless and we're counted righteous because Jesus was sinless 
and righteous. Number one. Number two, we're counted as having died in Christ. Therefore, a believer never has to die again. What does John 3.16 say? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The penalty and the condemnation of the sin, they've already been paid for. His death paid for it all. And then third, we're counted as having been raised in Christ. Therefore, we, we have received the new life of Christ. Just like Jesus has a, <clears throat> a new life after his resurrection, me and you receive that new life as, uh, in Christ when we believe in him, when we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. To be in Christ means that you, you, your walk and your lives, you live in him day by day by day by day. An authentic, a genuine, a true, a real Christ follower lives and moves through the days in Christ. He's in union with him. To truly walk, to truly believe. Your walk and your belief got a jive, right? To truly believe is to walk and to walk is to truly believe. Genuine saving faith uh, and belief lays its life. Past sins, present behavior, everything gets laid at the foot of Christ. A, a, a genuine believer, a true believer, an authentic believer places his well-being. I place my well-being. I place my ultimate destiny squarely in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And y'all, it works both ways. A person that, that truly lays his life upon Christ and entrusts everything that he is to him is a person who truly believes, is a person who lives and walks in Christ. What does that look like? It looks like this. We don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. Paul describes it in Titus in chapter 2. He says that it means, verse 12, he says that it means that we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and we live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. We are not perfect. I'm as imperfect as it gets, bro. So it's not, a, it's not that. It's not at all that. But we, we, we walk in the spirit we walk in the spirit and we and we don't walk in the flesh it means that we bear the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that walking in the spirit is bearing the fruit of the spirit go read galatians 5 verse 22 3 and 4 it means that we abide in christ it's a word we don't use that much. It's almost like uh, attached to, like with a lifeline attached to. So we abide in Christ as members of the body, Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, as the members of a body are connected and attached to each other. And y'all, I believe like the most uh, incredible explanation of this is Jesus' words in John chapter 15. We don't have time to go through it, but go read, write it down, John 15 one through seven. Go read it. We are attached to him. This is what John 15 is about. We're attached to him like the branches of a vine are attached. 
verse 4 in John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. And I think that we, me and you as Christ followers, we can't ever forget, like don't ever forget the enormity of the rescue that happened to us. Don't ever forget our indebtedness for the grace that we have in Christ. Me and you can persevere through the struggles of life knowing that. Knowing that Paul said in, in 2 Timothy, he said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And it almost is like it's not even if we are faithless, it's when we're faithless. When it happens, because it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. When we're faithless, he's always faithful. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So number one, and this was a long point because I think, y'all, I think it's the whole point of Scripture that when we're in Christ, we're not condemned. We're rescued and we're saved. That's what being saved means. Well, what are we saved from? We're saved from hell, right? We're saved from hell. Now Paul starts and he starts ramping up the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts ramping up his, all of his language about the Spirit. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what does the Spirit do? First of all, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. We were dead. The Spirit gives life. We weren't sick. We were dead. Dead things have no life. So the Spirit gives life. Verse 2 says, He gives life, first of all, by freeing us. Free, I hope you have a worship guide. If you don't, we'll get you one. But verse 2 says he gives life by freeing us from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the rebirth, behind the new creationness of a Christian. The Holy Spirit is the power behind all that. He's the one that comes alongside of you and me, and he helps us to walk the life. He helps us to walk day by day. That's what walking and living in the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit sets us free once and for all from sin and from the consequences of that sin, which ultimately is death. Now, of course, me and you, every one of us, are going to die a physical death. It's coming. So don't think that that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. What we're freed from, this law of sin and death, it means the rule and the reign of death. It means the chains that shackled us and held us down. One of those songs was talking about chains. We're freed from the chains and the rule and the reign of sin and death. The Spirit of God is what frees us from that. It frees us from the old creation, or He frees us from the old creation that we were. He frees us from the old place that we used to live, right? The old, our whole old world. We're freed from that bondage. We're freed from the chains that that old life had on us when we're saved. That old place. Y'all have heard about a man who lived in a foreign country, grew up, raised in a foreign country. He becomes a citizen of the United States. In this country where he was raised, where he grew up, oppressive society, there was a curfew. It was, that curfew was overseen and it was enforced by the military of that country religiously enforced by the military of that country. After 9 o'clock p.m., the streets had to be cleared and you had to be in your home by 9 o'clock else you're going uh, and being arrested by the military. And when he comes to the United States several years ago, 
he starts traveling and he wants to see our beautiful country and he's sightseeing and doing all this stuff in his new home. But when he when he when he saw saw the sunset one day and it was getting dark, he looks at his at his phone to see what time it was. Isn't it funny that I say he looks at his phone to see what time it is? Those of y'all that are old like me, like I'm look at your phone to see what time it is. So, but anyway, he looks at his phone to see what time it is uh, to make sure that he didn't pass, like, pass his curfew time. And he flags down a cab and the cab driver, and he tells the cab driver, he says, hey, man, you know, can you please give me a ride back to my hotel as fast as, I, as you can so I don't bust my curfew and get in trouble? And the cab driver is like, what you talking about, brother? I mean, what, like, what are you talking about? But then it dawned on him that this man was not from this country, that he was a foreign guy, and that he was a little mixed up about his new life in America. And he explained to this guy, and he assured this man that in the U.S., the law that he had been used to, the law that he grew up under, the law that held him down, didn't apply to him anymore. It didn't apply to him anymore. The cabbie explained to him that he was no longer under the jurisdiction of that old law that old place that he used to live, that old uh, world that he used to live in. He, he came to this country. He has a new life in this country. He's been freed from the jurisdiction that the old place had over his life. That meant that he was, any of y'all still chained to the old life? Does the old life still have, is it still holding control over you? Is it still, does it still have jurisdiction in your life? If you have said yes to Christ, you're free from that. Let that old country just go. So the cabbie said, you're not, you're not beholden to that old. You don't owe that old jurisdiction anything. So he said, you're free. You're free to stay up and stay out as long as you want to. The restrictions of that old homeland don't control anymore. This man was in the United States, but he had not yet learned to let go of the bondage of the old country. Have you, and even if you are a Christ follower today, have you not figured out how to let go of that old bondage? you got to let it go. You leave it at the cross, leave it at the cross. Don't drag it up, and the devil is going to drag it up. You could have left something at the cross, y'all, 20 years ago. And you can take it to the bank that the devil is going to drag that back up. And all you got to do is say, Jesus paid for that 2,000 years ago. I'm not having that discussion anymore. Y'all get that? Let it go. Let it go. Don't go back to the old country. So we sing about freedom, y'all. We talk about freedom and yet we, we still feel the pressure of the curfew and the chains of oppression of that old law system under which we operated. Too many people, too many Christians today are in chains because they spent so much time in that old country. It's true. And getting used to thinking about this, this idea of being free being set free in Christ, they've not adapted yet, not adopted yet, not bought into the spirit of life. To understand that the spirit of life frees the believer from sin and death, from the law of the power of sin and death. Frees you and me to live righteously and to live eternally. 
That's true freedom. To live in the spirit of life and the power of life. It's super similar to uh, verse 6 in Romans 7. I think it's on the screen. Maybe it's not. But now, Romans 7, uh, verse 6. But now we are released. Yes, it is on the screen. But now we are released from the law. Released from the law. The old country. You're released from the old country. Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So he says that I am liberated from the old authority and I'm placed in the new. Welcome y'all to the new. The new is a cool place to live. The old is an old decrepit place to live. The new is a cool place to live. Go listen to Mercy Me's song, Welcome to the New. It's a great song. Number two, the Spirit gives life by doing what the law couldn't do. By doing what the law couldn't do. Verse three, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. The law could not make us righteous. It couldn't then in the past, and it can't now. It didn't work, it doesn't work, and it never will work. It never will make us right before God because our flesh is too weak. We cannot keep all of the law. The best of the best of the best of the best could never keep all of the law. It can't be done. It can't be done. So righteousness and life, as God intends for it to be for me and you, will never, ever come via the law. But what the law can't do, the Holy Spirit can do. He can provide righteousness. He can provide life. And then in verse 3 also, the Spirit gives life by Christ's condemning sin in the flesh. In Old Testament times, animal sacrifices continually offered at the temple. Every day, blood is spilled and poured out all over the altar every day in the temple in Jerusalem. And those animals had two super important characteristics. If you're going to kill an animal, it has to be what first? Say again. Alive. First, first, first things first, it's got to be alive. <laughs> right? You ain't going to kill something that's dead. So it's got to be alive. Number one. Number two, it's got to be flawless. It's got to be flawless. The sacrifices that were made had to be flawless. And in that day, y'all understand this, man. In that day, God used the sacrificial system, which is very well orchestrated and laid out in the Old Testament. He used that whole system to impress upon the Israelites the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin, that innocent blood had to be shed before the sins could be pardoned. And God told him, Leviticus chapter 17, if you love to read Leviticus, raise your hand. Ain't nobody raising their hand. <laughs> Verse 11 of chapter 17 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for, uh, I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Atonement for your souls, for it is in the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's the blood that makes atonement. But animal blood cannot really remove sin and the forgiveness provided by those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices. In legal terms, it's really more like a stay of execution than a pardon. It's a temporary covering of the sin. 
all those animal sacrifices at the end of the day did was point towards Jesus. It pointed towards the sacrifice that he made, that he, where he paid the penalty for sin, for all sin, all at once and all for all, for all time, period. It was not temporary. It was not a stay of execution. It was a pardon. His life was identical to ours except he lived sinlessly. His life was identical to ours, but it was unstained by sin. So he could serve. Was he alive? Yes. Was he flawless? Yes. If you're flawless, raise your hand. Ain't none of us flawless. So he was a perfect sacrifice once and for all for our sin. And so in him, in his cross, that pardon is complete. And the tables are turned almost upside down so it's not just that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but also the very sin that condemns us, the very sin that guaranteed our condemnation is itself condemned by Christ's sacrifice. Last thing is this. The Spirit gives life by Christ providing righteousness for us. Verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit at the core of the core of the core what is the righteous requirement of the law y'all the righteous require righteous requirement of the law is holiness it is holiness it's holiness that the law requires and throughout the old testament god says be holy for i'm holy be holy for I am holy. But the law is, is powerless to make us holy because of our sinfulness. It is only through Jesus Christ's death and the freedom from sin that comes from that that we can even begin to think about not walking according to the flesh but walking in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we're fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. The Holy Spirit indwelling us who is who allows us to begin to, to shift and become more holy. The Holy Spirit, y'all think about this, the Holy Spirit provides the power internally to help us to do what the law requires externally. He makes changes inside of us. What do you think the fruit of the Spirit are? They come out because we've changed inside. I couldn't have done that by myself. Left unto myself, I'm a jerk. Right? Don't say. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit changes me. He changes people. All of a sudden, a jerk can be kind. You, every one of you, I bet you have had a friend, and that friend may be in the mirror, but you have had a friend that was a jerk, and they got saved, and you didn't even know they got saved, but something changed. Like, oh my gosh, you say, what happened to them? Jesus happened to them. That's what happened. And he, and he changes us, and he changes our life, and he changes us inside so that what the law required outside changes also. And so it's the Spirit that produces the fruit in us. Now, Paul has made it clear over and over that the law is powerless to save. So then if you look at verse 4, you say, why does the... Why does, uh, do the law's requirements still got to be met? Well, the law's requirements got to be met because God is just. God is just. We said this several weeks ago. Let me say it again. The law is God's law, 
and the law was never meant, and God never meant for the law to just get booted off to the curb. No. Paul makes a difference between two, between two kinds of obedience. He speaks against the obedience of the law that stays merely at the level of the flesh, the box-checking stuff. He speaks against that obedience. He speaks against the obedience of the law like, to, 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 to like being circumcised just because the law requires that circumcision. And then he's, he talks about the obedience that rests solely on God's Holy Spirit. Now, only that obedience, the, the, the obedience that is dependent on the Holy Spirit fulfills the law because we have been saved. We have been credited with Christ's righteousness, and that is a fulfillment of the requirements of the law. Now, Paul puts it, and he says this, the requirements of the law are met in us through Christ Jesus. Ed left upon himself ain't no way going to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law because the reality is this. When I'm saved, when you are saved, do you become righteous? No. You are credited with the guy that died on the cross as righteousness. So when God looks at me, when God looks at me after I've been saved, he doesn't see the jerk. The jerk very well still may be there. But what he sees is this beautiful flowing white robe of Christ. Shiny, glowing, white in glorification. He doesn't see my filth. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see the nasty, the ugly. He doesn't see any of that. He sees Christ. Because we're credited with Christ's righteousness. Now here's what I would say to you. One of those, that, that, that change is being able to walk in the spirit of life. I want to say two things to you. That's one. Number two, I want to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the most glorious truth in all of Scripture. And if you have not said, no, said yes to that offer, if you have not said yes to that offer, just know, man, today is the day because no answer is a no answer. And there really is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The inverse of that is true too. There is nasty condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to scare somebody into heaven because I don't think it works. Honestly, I don't. I think understanding the gospel message, understanding your own sinfulness, and understanding your need to be rescued and that the rescue happened with the death, a perfect, flawless sacrifice on a cross that took care of it, that's real. So if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I do understand my sinfulness, and I do understand and I believe and I trust that your son died on that cross to save me from it. Today is the day that I place, I don't just believe that he died, I place saving faith and trust in that death, that that death took care of my sins and saved me. And so, Lord, save me in Jesus' name. Amen. And look, if that happened to you, our prayer team is in the back. If it happened and you're watching online, please reach out to us. Please fill out an online connection card and let us know. We just want to talk about it. 
And then ultimately, I want to get you over here and, and hold you down in the water for a little bit and, and, and let you take the God plunge. And I won't hold you down too long. But just let us know. Let us know.